let's go back a few hundred years. The missionary endeavor of the Protestants in England sprung out of uh, the soil of a very rich reformed Puritan theology. The Puritans had a high view of biblical authority and God's sovereignty that produced an undoubted, undaunted hope for this world. They were deeply stirred with a passion for God's coming kingdom. And they really believed in Psalm 86, verses 8 and 9, which read, Among the gods there is none like you. No deeds can compare with yours. All the nations you have made will come and worship before you, Lord. They will bring glory to your name. So the Puritans were gripped by this total confidence that one day God would take possession of all the nations and that they would bow before him. And this was a tremendous confidence in their hearts. And that was the confidence that gave birth to the modern missionary movement. So when 1793 comes, you not only have William Carey driven by the same, same reformed uh, vision of God's triumph in the world because of his sovereign promises, but you also have people like David Brainerd, who was a, a missionary to the Indians in America, and David Livingston, of course, in Africa. They were all driven by the same theology. They were all reformed, they were all Calvinistic, and they were all lovers of God's sovereignty. And they're all giving their lives away at great pain for the sake of bringing the nations into the kingdom of Christ. Now that's the glance backwards. Now what has happened in the last 200 years plus? So let's look out for a moment. Philip Jenkins, a distinguished professor of history at Baylor University in the United States, and whose books provide us with a comprehensive history of world missions, he created the term Global South. Global South. It is a term that refers to Latin America, Africa, Asia, and this stunning shift of the center of gravity of the Christian church from Europe and America to the South. Let me give you some statistics that Jenkins provides to show us what has happened. At the beginning of the 20th century, Europeans dominated the world church. 70% of world, the world's Christian population was European or of European descent. By the end of the 20th century, the European percentage of world Christianity had shrunk from 70% to 28% of the total. And Latin America and Africa, that's without Asia, Latin America combined made 43% of the world's Christians. Now that is astonishing. 
43 percent. In 1900, Africa had approximately 10, um, 10 million Christians, representing 10 percent of sub-Sahara population. 100 years later, this figure had grown to 360 million from 10 million, representing half, 50% of Africa's population. Quantitatively, this may be, according to Jenkins, the largest shift in religious affiliation that has ever occurred anywhere in the history of the world. Another great writer is Mark Knoll. He wrote a book called The New Shape of World Christianity. And here are some excerpts. The number of practicing Christians in China is approaching the number in the USA. This means that there are more members of the Christian church than members of the Communist Party. Live bodies in church are far more numerous in Kenya than in Canada. More believers worship together in church Sunday by Sunday in Nagaland, which is Northeast India, than in Norway. More Christian workers from Brazil are active in cross-cultural ministry outside their homeland than those from Britain and Canada put together. Last Sunday, more Christian believers attended church in China than in all of so-called Christian Europe. This past Sunday, more Anglicans attended church in each, each of these countries, each of Kenya, South Africa, Tanzania, and Uganda, than did Anglicans in Britain, Canada, and the Episcopalians in the USA combined. Last Sunday, more Presbyterians were in church in Ghana than in Scotland. How would John Knox feel about that? This past week in Great Britain, at least 15,000 Christian foreign missionaries were hard at work evangelizing the local British, most of these missionaries from Africa and Asia. So in a word to quote Noel, the Christian church has experienced a larger geographical redistribution in the last 50 years than in any comparable period in history, with the exception of the very earliest years of church history. So dear friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, take a deep breath and let those things sink in as to what God is up to in these days. But when you hear statistics like that, be careful that you do not draw false inferences such as the day of Western missions is over. No, the day of Western missions is not over. You see, Europe is, Africa is no longer the dark continent, as it once was called. Europe is. But God 
has not forgotten Europe. So I want you to feel hope and challenged when you look back. And when you look out, I want you to feel hope and challenged at what God is doing. So let's now look into the text. We in Australia are filthy rich. All of us are wealthy. By whatever standards in Australia you may feel you are not wealthy, you are wealthy. And there's a reason why the people of God have been blessed, hence the title of my sermon. And that's what the psalm is all about. It's about the church, God's people. And there are three big questions to ask of the psalm. So let's, took, let's take a look at them one at a time. Question number one, what is the purpose of God revealed in this psalm? This psalm is a prayer, as James has said. And what is the purpose of God in this prayer? And it is clear, the purpose of God in this prayer is to be known, to be praised, to be enjoyed, and to be feared. These are the four purposes of God in the psalm. So let's look more closely at each one of them. Purpose number one. God's purpose is to be known. If you look at verse two, that your ways may be known on the earth. God means to be known among all 16,000 nations or people groups of this world. And God will not rest until he, the true God, is known among the nations. Purpose number two, God's purpose is to be praised. Verse three, may all the peoples praise you, O God. And we should not rest until we see every people group praising the true God. Purpose number three, God's purpose is to be enjoyed among the nations. Verse four, May all the nations be glad and sing for joy. You see, God is not content until all the nations are glad in God. Not just knowing God, not just praising God, but rejoicing in God. And purpose number four, God's purpose is to be feared or reverenced. Verse 7, and all the ends of the earth will fear him. So the purpose of God is clear. To be known, to be praised, to be enjoyed and reverenced among all peoples. Most of you would not know who J. Campbell White is but I will quote from him, and I quote. <clears throat> Most people are not satisfied with the permanent output of their lives. Nothing can wholly satisfy the life of Christ within his followers except 
the adoption of Christ's purpose toward the world he came to redeem. Fame, pleasure, riches are but husks and ashes in contrast with the boundless and abiding joy of working with God for the fulfillment of his eternal plans. The people who are putting everything into Christ's undertaking are getting out of life its sweetest and most priceless rewards. I think that White is saying, what White is saying is implied in this psalm, in our text. If we are children of God, then the only things that will bring true and lasting satisfaction is to throw our lives into the purpose of our Father. And the purpose of our Father, as we have seen, is to be known, to be praised, to be enjoyed, and to be reverenced among all nations. Now at this point, if I were you, I'd start getting a bit restless and say, well, Granville, um, are you saying that only missionaries can have a fully satisfied life and that by implication, all of us should stop what we're doing and do that, that is, be a cross-cultural missionary? Well, the answer to that is no. It's a biblical no. But let's answer it first by saying who J. Campbell White was. J. Campbell White was not a missionary. He was a businessman. And in 1906, he and others founded the layman's missionary movement because they watched what God was doing among university students. Thousands of young people were dedicating themselves to world evangelization and were leaving their homes and going to the hardest places of the world to plant churches. So these laymen formed the Laymen's Missionary Movement precisely to stay at home and get behind it with all their might. So when I say by implication that this psalm is saying what J. Campbell White is articulating, that you just can't rest until you are engaged with this, I don't mean you are a goer. John Piper puts it well. There are three kinds of people in a church. There are goers, there are senders, and there are disobedient. And there aren't any other kind. Not everyone is called to go. And we can't accomplish missions if people don't stay at home. But what is important is engagement with the purpose of God for the world. So question number one to this text is what's the purpose of God in this prayer? And the answer is to be known, to be praised, to be enjoyed, 
and reverenced among the peoples of the world. Question number two, what is it that God aims to make known about himself among the nations? What does the psalm say God wants to be known? If he says, I want to be known, I want to be praised, what do you want known and what do you want people praising you for, God? And there are four answers. Answer number one, God aims to be known as the one and only living, true living God. So when he says in verse 3, May all the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. It means let all of them turn from their false gods to the true and living God. That's number one. God wants to be known among the nations as the only true and living God. Answer number two. God aims to be known that he is a God of justice. And he does what's right. We look at verse 4. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples justly. So let them be glad, for you judge the people with equity, as the ESV translation puts it. He wants to be known as the one who judges the people with equity. So what does that mean? When the judgment of the nations comes, God will not be partial. No one will be condemned for the color of his or her skin. No one will be condemned for the size of the, his or her brain or the place of their birth. All will proceed on the basis of impeccable righteousness. And may this be known to all peoples of the earth. They will stand on equal footing with every other nation before God, including Israel, and they will be judged by one standard of justice. So that's number two. God is a God of equity. God is a God of justice. And he wants to be known among the nations that he's that kind of God. Answer number three. God aims to be known that he is a God of sovereign power. I've thought about this a lot, and living in Europe, as you know, in the last 12 months, we have had the migrant crisis with Islamic people coming to our shores in their hundreds of thousands. And when I say God aims to be known that he is a God of sovereign power, I think that we reformed people should realize that we have an age with Islam when it comes to engaging Muslims. Wimpy gods are going to, to go nowhere with Islam. A big, strong, sovereign, all-knowing, all-controlling God will. We are called to engage with these people. People whose God for them is absolutely sovereign. So number three, God aims to be known as a God of sovereign power. 
verse 4, he says, May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples justly and guide the nations of the earth. What does that mean? God guides the nations on the earth. Many nations in, in this world call themselves sovereign states. <laughs> and the Lord laughs. He sits in heaven and laughs at the puny claims to sovereignty in world rulers. He laughs at their presumption that they think they are making their own way in the world. When we read Acts chapter 17, verse 26, we read these words. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. Their boundaries and their time periods are determined by the Lord. He allotted them all. Then if you go to Daniel chapter 4, verse 35, all the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? So God aims to be known as the one who runs the world, who guides the nations on the earth. They are not sovereign. Only one is sovereign. And he sets the destiny of every nation and he wants them to know that. And that's number three. God wants to be known among all the rulers of the world and he guides the nations. And answer number four. God aims to be known as a gracious God. This is the gospel. God is to be known as a gracious God. We look at verse 1. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. So when it says that salvation may be known among all the nations, he means that Israel's blessing should go to the nations and make them glad. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, this is the old Puritan hope. These four great truths about God. There is one true and living God. He is infinitely just and holy. He is sovereign over all nations. And he is gracious to all who believe. And that's what he wants to be known among all the nations of the world. He is the only one and true God. He is infinitely just and holy. He is sovereign over all nations, that he is gracious to all who believe. And that was true for Israel then, and it's true for us now. 
Then we come to question number three. What does God bless his people? Sorry, why does God bless his people and make his face to shine upon them? That's us now. And the answer is clear. May God be gracious to us and bless us. And it's not wrong to play that. He has given us so much. We have money for a reason. We have possessions for a reason. And here it comes. That your ways be, may be known on the earth. Your salvation among all the nations. God has blessed us for the sake of the world. The us being the church, the people of God. And as we read in Genesis 12, 1 to 3, sorry, uh, verses 2 and 3, is the promise behind this prayer. That God would bless Israel for the sake of the nations. God promises this to Abraham. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. What a spectacular promise made to Israel. All the peoples on earth, the 16,000 people groups, are going to be blessed because of Israel, because of Abraham, covenant of Abraham. And this promise is picked up in Isaiah 49, verse 6. I will make you a light for the Gentiles, the nations, that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. And where is that quoted in the New Testament? It's quoted by Paul and Barnabas in Acts 13, 47 as their mission when they were kicked out of the synagogue. They actually quote Isaiah 49, verse 6, which is picking up on Genesis 12, verses 2 to 3, which is prayed in Psalm 67. And their point is that the church's mission to the Gentiles, the nations, is the extension of the Abrahamic covenant to those for whom it was intended. And who are the children of Abraham? Those who have faith in Abraham and are children of Abraham. Wild olive branches are all over the world ready to be grafted into this magnificent tree. And as the Bible says, until the full number of Gentiles come in. And when they come in, all Israel will be saved as we read in Romans chapter 11. And this is accomplished, how? Through world missions. The gospel will be preached as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. That is what we pray for when we pray the Lord's Prayer. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So my closing emphasis is that the reason we're blessed is in the little word that. 
T-H-A-T, in verse 2, in Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make His face to shine upon us that your ways may be known on the earth, your salvation among the nations. So, dear friends, the purpose is clear here, that we are blessed in order to be a blessing for the nations. And that doesn't mean you go, or all go, but it does mean that you either go or send, or that you are engaged in some way in God's mission to the nations. I want to close with a quote that was quoted in the year 1648. This was written by the English Parliament concerning the Indian peoples of New England in America. And I quote, The utmost ends of the earth are designed and promised to be in time the possessions of Christ. The ends of the earth shall see His glory, and the kingdoms of the world shall become the kingdoms of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if the dawn of the morning be so delightful, what will be the clear day? If some beginnings be so full of joy, what will it be when God shall perform His whole work, when the whole earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And east and west shall sing together the song of the Lamb. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, God is going to accomplish this. So I just encourage you, don't miss out. Join this invincible purpose of God. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would move in power, that you would awaken in this church and the people a passion for your supremacy in all things, for the joy of your peoples. Through Jesus Christ. Amen.